When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, folks, welcome back once again. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro. This is Chris Zinzak, and today's words are highly anticipated. Vinnie Vincent Special Part 4. Highly anticipated Vinnie Vincent Part 4. And coming on the heels of the great Toby Wright interview from last week. That was so much fun. It was. We've got to get that guy on the show again. Absolutely. Got to. So uh, so kind of a double dose for you KISS fans, because uh, yeah. it's KISS-related stuff last week to a point. And, it's and the Decibel Geek podcast. Of course it's somehow KISS-related. We haven't done a KISS-related show in a while. so. But in a way, kinda they're kinda cool all kind of KISS-related. We, we, shoehorn <laughs> we shoehorn the KISS name in every time. There's always a way. Yeah. So, so they don't so, make it too hard. So yeah, you know we like uh, you know I, I still had interviews in the can from uh, you know working on previous Vin events and stuff and decided to go ahead and release it now. Um, the demand is there. It is. People like hearing about this stuff and you know as Vinny as Vincent, you know we as Aaron always says he's always open to come on the show. Absolutely. I mean we talk about Vinny Vincent because the fans want to know about Vinny Vincent. And, you know we're fans too. You know we like Vinny. You know, we might bust his chops a little bit, but you know, it's all it comes from a good good hearted place. We would we would love to see new music from Vinnie Vincent, totally. you know, as would a lot of other people. And, you know, people want to hear about Vinnie Vincent, people want to talk about Vinnie Vincent. We're just in the middle. Well, and I guess it's probably because he doesn't talk to anybody, so it kind of builds the mystery, and you know, right. we like to go into that. There's so. a certain you know uh, mystique and charisma totally. about Vinnie Vincent that you know people are interested, as they should be. Yeah, yeah. The guy's I, contributions to Kiss are amazing and awesome, and you know his solo stuff, The Invasion. There's some amazing stuff on there, and the dude's a killer guitar player on top of it all. So yeah, totally, and uh, you know, we're so gonna give you your dose of the double V. We wouldn't. Uh, right today. We wouldn't be doing all this if we weren't fans. So. Vitamin double V. Yeah, I'm getting. Uh, I'm getting harassed by my wife. That's how. Uh, th- yeah, my professional studio here in my house. Who let her in here? This is what kind of. Who's watching uh, the door? Watch what you're saying. <laughs> or I won't get to do the show anymore. <laughs> She's pointing a fork at your head. Nice. All right. Well, anyway, today that's metal. <laughs> we've got we've got two pretty cool uh, Vinny related interviews today, and uh, they're good on their own as it is. I wanted to put them together here. So first off. We're going to talk to Hirsch Gardner. And if you don't know who Hirsch Gardner is, Hirsch Gardner was the drummer for a band called New England that Paul Stanley produced back in the late 70s. And uh, New England actually opened up for Kiss on the Dynasty Tour in 79. Is that how the uh, kiss Vinnie Vincent relationship began? Sort of. Um, it's actually, well, you'll hear Hirsch tell the story, but um, it all involves about Hirsch was working with Vinnie. Gene Simmons introduced Vinny to Hirsch because Vinny was writing with Gene for what would have become the Creatures of the Night album. Mm-hmm. And this shows that Kiss was not looking at Vinny as a possible new member. They were looking at him purely as a co-writer because Gene is going, hey, Vinny, you should work with Hirsch and join a band with him. Right. So that, that's an interesting thing we, we glean. But I'm not going to give away too much away because Hirsch is going to fill us all in on okay, it. Okay, cool. But uh, a lot of interesting stuff about Vinny before and after Kiss because Hirsch worked with him both, both times. So uh, very interesting stuff. And then we'll come back and we'll have another great interview with uh, someone that worked for Chrysalis Records during the invasion years. That ought to be interesting. But in the meantime, here's Hirsch Gardner. Let's go back to earlier. Am I understanding yeah. right that that you were that you were hooked up with Vinny through Gene Simmons? Yeah, the story I guess begins in like eighty three, eighty four. Um, you know, I've obviously uh, I was in the group New England, and we were coming to the end of our you know uh, playing career together as as a four piece. And uh, John at that point wanted to um, you know do some solo things. Uh, and so we just decided at that point, let, let, why don't we just all go our own way? We can all do our own things. I mean, I wanted to do a lot of record production stuff and, uh, you know, 
Jimmy and Gary wanted to do their thing. So, um, so we, we split up. We, we, the four of us, you know, went our ways. Um, and in the same week, I got a phone call from Lenny Peachy, who was uh, head of Epic Records, who was a very dear friend of mine, and, uh, and Gene Simmons at the same time. And they both told me about this guitar player, uh, Vinny Cassano from Connecticut, who was currently at that point living in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, you guys ought to, you guys ought to hook up with him. As you know, England was, uh, you know, was a great band. And if, you know, if John's going to do his thing, and if you three guys are considering staying together, you know, Vinny would be a great guy to, you know, replace John. So, uh, you know, it made sense. We gave Vinny a call. Hit it off right away. I mean, you know, very, very friendly and, you know, he had uh, heard of us and, you know, um, you know, we knew at that point, at that point, I believe he was uh, writing for Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's, I think that that's where his uh, relationship with Gene came about. Uh, but he was also just, you know, a separate artist looking for a, a band to play in. So um, long story short, we, uh, the three of us, Jimmy, Gary, and I, uh, we jump on a plane, we go to L.A., um, Actually, wait a minute. I think this is a long time ago, so I'm trying to remember. No, what happened first was uh, Denny actually flew into Boston from L.A., and um, we had uh, we had our own rehearsal studio. So we actually just set up and jammed for um, three or four days, and it was just it was just instant great vibes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the four of us just tore it up. We um, <clears throat> learned a couple of Vinny's songs, probably. Probably Gypsy in Her Eyes. Uh, is that what that is that what that song is called? Yeah, that's yeah, that's one of his unreleased tunes that uh that's floating Gypsy around on the internet. Yeah, yeah. So Gypsy and um, uh, probably a couple of other other things that he did. I forget the the names of the songs, but if you prompt me, I'll remember them. I think some uh, um, would Back on the Streets probably be one of those. Back on the Streets, of course. Yeah, because he had previously recorded that. So it was Gypsy, Back on the Streets, and maybe um, a couple of other harder rock tunes. And you got were um, weren't you guys calling yourselves Warrior at this point? Not at that point, not 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 yet. At this point, we were, we weren't calling ourselves anything. Okay. Uh, but but I, I think later on we were. Um, so we we rehearsed in in Boston for um, a few days, and we just it was a love fest. Mm-hmm. We just we just thought you know this guy what a great guy, and uh, he loved us and loved Jimmy's playing and Gary's loved, just loved everything about it. So he went back to L.A. And we had, uh, you know, we were, the, the, the four of us were talking. And then he said, well, you know, you guys into, um, you know, coming to L.A. And, you know, at that point, we really weren't tied down to the, you know, the New England area. So Jerry and Gary and I said, yeah, well, let's, um, let's go. You know, I kept my, I think we, I think we all sort of kept our, our places in, in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved to L.A. Uh, and, uh, you know, found a place to stay and just started rehearsing at SIR Studios in Hollywood. And, um, you know, the band was just starting to get real, real solid. Um, and it was really funny because Gene and Paul and Kiss were rehearsing next door to us. <laughs> and, and, and Gene and Paul were coming into our, into our studio every day at SIR, you know, watching us play. And we were killing it. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, because, you know, New England, after coming off the, uh, off the road, you know, four or five years on the road, and, you know, Jimmy and Gary and I were just solid as a rock, and, you know, Vinny as a monster player, uh, an amazing, amazing voice, one of the, one of the best rock singers alive. I'll, I'll get into that in a, in a moment. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, we were just killing it, and, uh, you know, we would, um, we got some studio time that was paid for by CBS at um, uh, the Power Plant, Power Station, one of those big studios out there, uh, and we recorded um, a whole crap load of songs um, that did become the Warrior tapes. Okay, and so uh, and, and Vinny that, was and Vinny was writing with with Kiss at the same time. Yeah. Huh. So this is like when he was sort of, I guess they because yeah, from the story that Gene and Paul always presented was they liked Vinny as a writer, but they never were a hundred percent sold on him being a member. So it was so it really was probably a last minute thing for him to join Kiss. Well, I think at that point. Uh, yeah. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as the story unfolds, you'll see, you know, pretty much how he, how the whole kiss thing evolved. Um, so, you know, there we were in L.A. and um, we did this, you know, this incredible demo with, um, you know, new versions of Back on the Streets and 
um, Love It Loud, uh, Boys Are Gonna Rock, uh, Gypsy and Arise. Um, I, I can't remember the other titles, but you probably know them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, I guess all that stuff's all over the internet. But um, they had this great, you know, eight or nine song demo, and um, you know, CBS paid for it, so they had first right of refusal, and um, they were just about to sign us. I mean, we were, you know, we were the hottest thing on the block at that point. And don't forget, this was prior to, um, you know, all of the uh, all of the you know the L.A. hair bands, you know, being popular. Right. Right. So, I think I think had we continued on the direction that we were going, uh, it, it would have, it would have been mind blowing. But one of the interesting things about this, and this is this whole thing about the lead vocals. I mean, we all know Vinny's prowess on guitar. The guy's mm-hmm. a monster. Um, I loved Vinny's voice. Vinny, you know, if you hear the original demos of, of, of the songs that Vinny cut back on the streets and Gypsy, his voice resonates like no other rock singer in the world. Um, Vinny was always looking for the guy with the high voice, like Robert Fleischman. And, I mean, we, you know, we, we uh, auditioned, I think, every rock singer, Frank, um, oh, um, no, maybe not Frank to me. Frank, Frank, somebody else. Frank, um, Fergie, Fer- Fergie Fredrick- Fredrickson, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Fleischman, um, or some of the other guys. We auditioned. Jeez, um, I wish I could remember their names. Had I prepared for this, I would have <laughs> okay. been able to <laughs> been able to remember all these guys. But I mean, it's like every major rock singer in you know in LA at that point I think audition for a band and Vinny was just like no nah, I'm not right you know I mean Robert was the closest because of his high range right and I kept on telling Vinny dude it doesn't matter how high he can sing it matters you know what he's singing mm-hmm. and your voice nobody sings your your songs like you your your voice has such great resonance it's got such great power um you know you know you, you can't measure the emotion because they're your songs mm-hmm and he kept on going, no, no, I just want to be guitar. I just want to be guitar. I was like, Vinny, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't so much an argument. It was just like, dude, this is, this is your calling. This is what you should be doing. You should be fronting your band, playing guitar. You'll be recognized for everything, mm-hmm. which is, um, which didn't happen, which just didn't happen. And, um, so anyway, so as this, this whole process was unfolding and Gene and Paul were constantly in our rehearsal studio, you know, um, watching us play, uh, then he comes to us one day and says, well, Gene and Paul want me to join the band. Mm-hmm. And um, and we said, okay, so I guess we're done. Um, and I I just decided, well, I'm going to go back to the Boston area because that's basically where I was making my living as a record producer or engineer. And, and Jimmy and Gary just decided to stay in L.A., which was a great thing for them. Uh, because they put together Alcatraz, right? Yeah, and and got you know, uh, you know, I mean, the first incarnation of Alcatraz was with uh, with Steve Vai. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then Steve went on on his his own way, and then they got Ingve Malmsteen. And it's like Jesus, how could doesn't get any better than that? <laughs> yeah. Guitar uh, Player Academy there. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, after Ingve left, I think that they were going to go for the guy in Alice Cooper's band. Oh. Um. But and at that point, I think that that Alcatraz broke up. In the meantime, I had gone back to Boston and continued on with my producing uh, career, which is you know stuff, stuff something I, I dearly loved doing and still do today. Um, and you know, as it turns out, I mean, it was a really really good move for me because I was I was I I wasn't out of work for years and won you know several awards, the Boston Music Awards Producer of the Year award and was nominated pretty much every year for that award. And so, you know, me doing my career thing and hooking up with a lot of recording studio guys, uh, you know, I was writing, you know, articles for some of the uh, local rock magazines. Uh, so I was having, you know, it was, it was a good time for me, 85, you know, mm-hmm. 86, 89. And I was playing in several different bands at that time. And then um, a, a few years later, and once again, had I prepared better for this, I'd be able to give you dates and things. But um, I guess the, the second incarnation of uh, the Vinnie Vincent Hirsch Gardner story uh, continued. Um, Vinnie was in town uh, or about to come into Boston 
uh, to play with Kiss. And he called me up and said, "Hey, listen, you know, come on out. We'll, uh, you know, we'll hang out at the, you know, at the show and we'll have some fun." And so I went to the show that night, and um, you know, Vinny and I, you know, uh, huddled away in a in a separate dressing room, and you know, we just started like jamming mm-hmm. um, with some of the old songs we used to play. Uh, so we just, we just hit it off. It was just like, we were, we were coming up with some new, um, you know, new riffs that he was, was playing. And, uh, so it was great. You know, we, we hit it off. We stayed out all night long and we partied and it was, uh, was like old times in LA where we, where we also had a great time. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the tour, you know, the tour was about to end and Vinny says, listen, why don't I, you know, you know, he knew that I was, um, that I had a, a recording studio, you know, it was a pretty full blown studio that I was working out of and wasn't really partners with, but I did all of my productions there. So they would let me pretty much have run of the, of the house. And, um, so Vinny says, you know, can I come and hang with you for, you know, a couple of months and we'll, you know, maybe we'll write some songs together and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll you know, do some stuff. Mm-hmm. So Vinny, uh, finishes up with the tour and lo and behold there he is on my doorstep and um you know so i put him up and now begins uh the six months of you know what we you know call the you know the lawsuit days which was the beginning of the vinnie vincent invasion well let me ask you this was he did he was he giving you any idea at the time that that night that you guys hung out that he was unhappy in the band or wasn't getting along with the guys well, we'll get to that. Okay. I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, yeah. Uh, you know, the answer to your question is yes. Uh-huh. So, we, you know, we start, uh, you know, I had, a, uh, I had a wonderful estate that I was living on with, um, you know, swimming pool and tennis courts and 14 acres, and we had a separate, re- you know, rehearsal studio next to my home. In really beautiful spot and really it was just private way back in the woods. Um, so, you know, Vinny and I were just, you know, hold up there and we'd go into the studio every day and we'd play and we'd, you know, uh, he, you know, he'd come up with, you know, songs and, you know, we'd, we'd work them out and then we'd, um, we'd go to the studio and we'd record the songs, uh, you know, and myself acting as producer and engineer. And we even were sitting and, you know, I mean, songwriting is a very, very particular area for, for a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and with Vinny, I know that it was was kind of a a picky thing. So when you're when you're you know when you're sitting there and you're writing a song with somebody, it's just like you know there, you don't sit there and have a, a discussion, a legal discussion. You write the songs, and um, you know if I'm sitting there with Vinny and I'm coming up with some lyrical ideas, well, I'm, I'm a songwriter. Mm-hmm. It's real simple. You know, if I if I come up with a drum part, that's not a songwriter. Right. You know, but if I'm if I'm coming up with lyrics, so in my mind. At least, I was a songwriter on the project. I could get specific, but I won't. But anyway, so you Aww. know the um, <laughs> the um, uh, well, I'm just trying to think of um, a couple of the songs, but I can't really think of them off offhand. But anyway, so you know, so we were we worked on this this project for um, for quite some time, and um, you know, I was right, you know, singing all the background vocals and the you know the multi layered vocals that we were doing i mean those are all you know like my ideas to like stack up the vocals and you know do 30 40 tracks of vocals and because that was something that i was like totally into even before you know vinnie came on my scene because i was working with mike stone who produced queen right right and there's nothing better than a queen vocal harmony where you've got 30 or 40 voices of brian and freddie and roger singing together mm-hmm. And Mike Stone basically championed that. And, you know, the New England albums that we put out, we were very, very well known for our background vocals and things like that. And I basically stole the idea. I was like, man, that sounds great. I'm going to do that on all, <laughs> on all of my productions because I love the sound of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was nobody better at it than Mike Stone. So we worked together for this, for this long period of time. And, and, you know, you did ask about the Kiss situation. And, and all I can do is relate to you the phone calls that I overheard that were at my home where, where he was talking to Gene uh, and, you know, there was something going on. I don't know the details, mm-hmm. um, but there was something going on where Vinny would get off the phone and he was, you know, upset with those guys. Uh, maybe he wasn't getting, you know, uh, paid or maybe he wasn't getting uh, his songwriting credits or maybe the deal wasn't right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there was definitely a schism happening. There was a split. There was a, 
you know, there was one camp here and there was the Vinny camp over there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as Vinny and I, you know, progressed over the over the course of the next, you know, three, four, five months, I started to feel as if, if Vinny was sort of losing direction in what we were doing. Uh, whether he was losing direction in me or whether he was losing direction in the project, I don't know. Um, but eventually what happened was one day I get to the studio and Vinny's gone. All the tapes are gone. Everything that everything that I had owned, um, those were my personal tapes. Everything was gone. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, where's Vinny? Well, Vinny left for L.A. Um, so that was the last I heard of him until, um, you know, I called him up and said, you know, hey, what's up? And he says, well, you know, I don't want to do the project anymore. And I said, well, you know, you really, you know, need to pay me for the time that I put into the project. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made me an offer, which was ridiculous. And... Um, at that point, I, you know, had my attorney, and we filed a lawsuit, and then the, the lawsuit is pretty much public record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you know, the lawsuit went on for many, many months, and over time, Vinny was um, subpoenaed to come to court, and he would never show up, and he was subpoenaed to get to, you know, get deposed, and he would never show up, and, uh, you know, all of this was, you know, <laughs> obviously going on my bill, and um, the issue with the equipment, my attorney. Um, because Vinny was not answering the court and coming to court, um, the attorney, my attorney said, well, listen, we're going to go to court and they're coming into town and we're going to attach their gear. And, um, you know, there's a proper legal way to do that. And the attorney set it all up where they hired the sheriff and they hired the U-Haul and they hired a road crew. And apparently, from what I know, that morning before the show, uh, they notified uh, I think George Suet was his manager back then. Yeah, that's correct. Um, mm-hmm. And they notified George, who I knew from the earlier Kiss days. They notified George that um, that this was going to happen that day, mm-hmm. and so that um, so when they when they appeared, we would we would be taking their truck and taking all the equipment, and putting it. So I mean, they they you know they they showed up, and you know the attorney and. Uh, his people went and grabbed all the gear, uh, which included the gear. Uh, Bobby Rock, I believe, was the drummer. Mm-hmm, that's right. And Dana yep. uh, was the bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they took all of their gear as well. Were you on site when this happened? No, absolutely not. No. no. Oh, okay. I, I didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, okay. And and all of the equipment was then taken to a, a storage unit, and, and all of that was approved by the by the judge, by the courts. I mean, it was all legally done. You know, there was no hanky-panky. Sure. Um, you know, the judge, um, uh, you know, we notified the band well enough in advance uh, so that they could go rent equipment and do the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was all done, you know, above board and legally. And, and that was, and the reason, you know, the reason that they did that was because they wanted Vinny to put up a bond to um, to assure that he would come to court. Right. Because mm-hmm. he would never come to court. Um, did you hear and, uh, Did you hear from Vinny or anyone in the band at that, that, that point? Well, it's actually, I mean, to be quite honest, I was scared to death. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I had, I had heard, I had heard some things, and it was, it was pretty scary. So, um, but you know, what's really funny about the whole story is later on, probably a, a year or two later, um, I was talking to, um, I, I, I spoke, you know, I spoke to both, um, you know, Bobby and Dana, and both of them confirmed with me, said Hirsch. You know, you know, we were like so pissed at you when that happened. He said, "But you know what, man?" He said, "We know. <laughs> we, now we now we know that you know you you were you were in the right. You were justified in doing what you what you did." And mm-hmm. um, you know, that was kind of like an affirmation to me that you know we we followed you know the legal course. We did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as it turns out. Uh, you know, Vinny did eventually show up and was deposed. Um, I guess the, the 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 second to last court date that we had, uh, the judge at the, uh, the, the the Dedham Municipal Court was Judge Del Vecchio. Jesus, I even remember his name. That's amazing, huh? <laughs> um, he declared at that point because you know, the, I guess Vinny or his his attorney or something, they were a no show. Mm-hmm. He said, "Mr. Gardner, next week I'm going to award you the." the the, the total amount of the loss. It was about a quarter million dollars or something like that. Uh-huh. And and um, he said, you know, if these guys don't show up next week, I'm, I'm just, you know, giving you the case. Right. And um, 
we understand that the following day Vinny filed bankruptcy in Los Angeles. So he was informed of the, you know, the decision that the judge had made, and then the next day, you know, I, I received court papers from L.A. that he had filed bankruptcy, which effectively put my uh, case on what they called it. They put it on stay. Yeah, which means yeah. You know, and essentially that was the end of it. Right. And so there you've got the whole Vinnie Vincent story. And um, what ended up happening to the gear that was taken? Uh, that was eventually given back. It was. Oh, and okay. a bond was put up for the for the gear. Oh, okay. I heard the and, story that they had wound up getting the. Getting the gear um, from like a music store and painting it all pink or something. Did you hear about this? I didn't hear that they had done that. And the equipment that I saw pictures of, uh -huh. because we were we, we we were required to take photographs of all the gear that we took. Hmm. Um, their their gear wasn't pink either. <laughs> so See, I don't. I don't yeah, like... and I I that's a, maybe that may be like a legend that's gone around because I don't remember them really having any pink gear. I know they wore lots of it, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't recall. Um, I don't recall that they, they had done. Didn't they cancel the show, or did they play a couple songs and then they quit? I heard. I don't know if they if they quit early, but I do know they did go on stage that night because they they got a lot of gear from some music store that was local. But, right. But yeah, I mean, it was they were opening for Iron Maiden, I believe, at the time. Was it Iron Maiden or Alice Cooper? It was one of those. I think it was Iron Maiden, but I could be. It may have been Alice Cooper. I'm not sure. Yeah, I thought it was the Alice Cooper tour. Um, I know that I was a, there, so I don't know. Right, I know they they split time between those two tours that year. Yeah. Um, but uh, wow, and 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 no contact with the guy since then. I'm guessing, huh? Um, have I? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I can't recall. I'm just trying to think whether I had. No, I. You know, it's really. You know, it's it's a shame. Uh, he was just. Um, what, what an amazing, talented guy. Mm-hmm. What an amazing, talented guy! I mean, an incredible singer, great songwriter, probably some of the, some of the best rock songs, you know, ever written. Lick it up! I mean, Jesus Christ, what a fucking great song! I think that's why people are still interested in him after all these years, is because it's it's almost one of those what could have been situations, you know, where it's like just imagining how much you know quality material could have been put out, and that's why I was asking you about his mindset with uh, Gene and Paul when you were starting to work with him, um, because like a I have a theory. It's just like, did, it seems like the person you were dealing with before the time in KISS is almost like a different person completely than w after working in KISS. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm, you know, the, the ego, the ego does like unbelievable things. And, um, you know, it's just, a, it's just a shame that, that he just couldn't really see the, the forest for the trees. I mean, what, somebody, Gene said something about him, something about his demons or something that, um, mm -hmm. there's a quote that I read somewhere, but, you know, Vinny's demons just, you know, wouldn't let him be the, the talent that he was. But you know what's really, what's really strange is that a lot of guys that are super, super talents like that, you know, the savants of the world, I mean, they're, they're so focused on that one thing that they do, that they do so well, and they really don't have a good grasp of what's right or left of that center line. Mm -hmm. And what's right or left of that center line is all the rest of us. Right. But it's you just know? like, but before Kiss, it seems like everybody I've talked to talks about the pre-Kiss Vinny and like he's more of a, like they just talk about how what a humble, down-to-earth, great guy he was. And then ever since Kiss, it's just like, you know, scumbag and rip-off artist and con artist. And it's just like, it's just an odd switch. It's like, you know, I, I agree the guy has responsibility for his own his own issues, but uh, I I got to give a little bit of credibility to something definitely changed him uh, being a part of that band. Well, what does that say? I well, I mean, I just it, it I, I don't know. I mean, like I, I I'm a you know I'm a, a Kiss fan at heart. I wouldn't have ever discovered Vinny if it hadn't been for Kiss, and yeah. uh, I'll always be a fan. But it's just like you know he's he. There may have been some definite credence to him to his complaints about the the conditions that he was put through in the band. But then at the same time, there's, there's two sides to every story. So, you know, I just, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what that, that, you know, I, I it's not my business to jump into, you know, the kiss business end of things. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was, I was involved in a lot of that with new England because, you know, kiss and new England were managed by the same guy. Um, before I let you go, let me ask you, um, what are you up to these days? And, um, what, how could people find out more info about you? Well, I got, you know, a whole slew of Facebook pages. Um, 
you can look me up on Facebook, and I've got the hirschgardner.com website. Uh, so if people need to uh, you need to find me, you can. I'm definitely easy to find. Um, I have um, uh, my home studio, uh, which is where I am right now, and I, I do a lot of pre-production with uh, projects that I'm uh, working on in my home studio, and I have uh, my uh, more professional Pro Tools studio uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is right across the river from Boston. And I just finished a project with a gentleman. His name is Joseph. Hedinger, J-O-S-E-F, Hedinger is H-E-D-I-N-G-E-R. Boy, look him up on YouTube. Joseph is a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, singer, piano player. Uh, If I were to to tell you what kind of um, music he plays, it's a cross between, uh, check this out, um, uh, Michael Jackson, Justin Timberlake, Mm -hmm. and Freddie Mercury. Now that's an interesting combo. (laughs) Okay, so, and I'm working together with uh, my old friend Lenny Pizzi, uh, who we mentioned at the beginning of this, is the gentleman that turned me on to Vinnie Vincent. So Lenny and I have been, you know, friends for years and years and years. Lenny was the head of Epic Records mm-hmm. uh, and Portrait. Lenny signed Cindy Lauper, uh, the group Boston, Ario Speedwagon. Lenny worked with Michael Jackson. So um, we're... Um, putting an album's worth of material together for Joseph, uh, going out and getting him a record deal, and we're going to send him on the road, and who knows, man, maybe I'll be his drummer. Cool. And now, Deep Thoughts with Gene Simmons. It is a hermaphrodite, half man, half woman, and uh, I was born this way. Listen to the Decibel Geek Podcast on your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones with Stitcher. Stitcher's smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. When I go through oh. Putting the O back in rock. It's just like a... Oh. to the Decibel Geek Podcast. Oh yeah, listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. Once again, I'm Aaron Camaro, joined by Chris Zinzak. We're having a good time today, getting uh, doing a little Vinnie Vincent stuff. Everybody loves Vinnie Vincent, wants to hear more about him. We're, we're busting it out today, man. Some cool stories told in that first interview. Yeah, I appreciate Hirsch coming on the show. I know it's taken a while to get his interview out there, but we're just waiting for the right time, you know. And, uh, you know, Robert Fleischman showed up, you know, a few months ago, and I was like, I got to get him on because he was right. promoting the sky, and we wanted to promote that. So, yeah, you uh, guys, if you haven't listened to any of the earlier Vinnie Vincent episodes, they're all there in the archives at www.decibelgeek.com. Yeah, the first two are pretty lacking in sound quality because I didn't know what I was doing back then and they were Camaro-less so let's uh, you know, so be gentle about those right. but they're the, still interesting. The Fleischman one's really cool. The Fleischman yeah, check one, that one out. turned out great. Um, so yeah, so next up you know, a lot of people, you know, those of us that are really get into the history of Vinny and what was going on with the invasion, because there's there's a lot of stories about what went on behind the scenes with the invasion, because a lot of dysfunction, you right. know, a lot of weird behavior, according to uh, some people. A lot of burning of bridges. Yeah, <laughs> later <laughs> down the road. Uh, but yeah, so I, you know, I was like, I've always been interested. Like, you never hear anybody talk from the record company's point of view. Charge it to the record company. Yeah, I left so, my wallet at home. Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about. Listen to Slaughter's, was it their first album, I think? Yeah. yeah. Um, Burning Bridges was the name of the song. So I made contact with a guy named Tom Silver, who uh, I, I found him on Facebook, and this is me just digging for stuff. And it mm-hmm. uh, turns out he worked for Chrysalis. And, uh, turns he, out you're a heck of a journalist. Uh, well, appreciate that. Nice. I wish I got paid like one. But, um, <laughs> it, but yeah, so Tom uh, worked for Chrysalis on the promo- promotional side of uh, during the period that Vinny was on that label. And uh, so I was like, who better to talk to? And he was totally open to coming on. Tom is now a hypnotherapist and has been on yeah. lots of big TV. He's been on Leno. He's been on Kimmel. Lots of TV shows. Interesting stuff. Check it out. Go to TomSilver.com to check that out. But uh, Tom was nice enough to take a few minutes to talk to me about uh, his experience with the Vinnie Vincent invasion. So uh, here that is. Got a 
flute was my instrument, but I play all the woodwinds. Mm-hmm. And when I got out of college, uh, it was kind of tough to make a living, you know. I mean, you do all the little small gigs, and I gigged for years doing, you know, different uh, clubs and, and different venues and all different types of music. So a buddy of mine was working at Polygram Records, and uh, he said he'd set up an interview for me. So he set up the interview for me, and I started working there. I started with the first job that you do in usually record business. I was inventorying records and putting up the little wall displays that you'd see when you used to go into the record stores, when there were actually record stores that that used to be around. (laughs) So I'd handle like the warehouse chain and Tower Records and Musicland and um, you know, the Sam Goody stores and all the different little record, um, music pluses, all the different record stores. So I did that for quite a while, Mm -hmm. started building myself up in the business, became a single sales specialist where I started then setting up singles campaigns, record singles campaigns and, and working, you know, to support our artists. Then I became a contact, a, a compact disc coordinator where I started introducing, all, all the different uh, retail store managers and clerks and everybody in the record that were into records into the compact disc. Mm-hmm. Now, when I worked for uh, Polygram, I worked with artists like Def Leppard and Scorpions and and uh, Rush and Kiss and, uh, you know, all different, the Moody Blues and mm-hmm. Cool and the Gang and Statler Brothers. So I, wor- you know, worked with a lot of, you know, a variety of artists because Polygram owned a lot of different record labels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was really a, a cool gig. And I did that for about five or six years. The company had some changes. And, um, you know, so one of the changes was my job going. Mm-hmm. And um, and also it was interesting because in part of my job, I was converting people to get them out of the vinyls and get them into CDs. Mm-hmm. So we had huge listening parties and people got to hear the CD, the compact disc. And the first CDs were created by Philips, um, and uh, which was one of the mother companies of, of Polygram. And so the first CDs that came out were like classical and jazz CDs, mm-hmm. Verve, Verve Records and, and Deutsche Gram and Philips and stuff. So I was out of a job, um, interviewed at Chrysalis Records, and got a job as a uh, national marketing representative. So I, I covered half the United States, and then they hired another guy to cover the other half of the United States. So I covered everything from, you know, um, the Mississippi over to to California, basically. Mm -hmm. And I worked with a lot of artists on Crystal, so it was really great. It was a small little company. It was, uh, the guy who owned it, his name was Chris Wright, and he used to be in ownership with Terry Ellis. Now, Chris Wright and Terry Ellis first uh, signed two bands. They signed 10 years after, which was a, a really great group. Of mm-hmm. course, you probably know about the, that band. Yeah. And uh, Jethro Tull. Oh, sure. And there were a lot of other artists on the label, actually. So, you know, I worked with Billy Idol and Huey Lewis and uh, Slaughter, the band Slaughter. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, you know, it was really a, a, a cool uh, record company. A lot of English groups that we worked with, Mid-Jur, and a lot of groups from um, Australia, Ice House. And uh, so I was there until the company was sold in 1992 to EMI Records. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of like sailed the ship until the record business was completely, till my job was gone and, and Chrysalis was basically just a, a label distributed to, you know, capital in EMI. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, went into the field of hypnotism full time. Okay, well... Part of the big part of the reason I wanted to get you on the show is like I've done three specials on Vinnie Vincent because he's kind of a real enigma in the rock and roll world. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of speculation about his relationship with Chrysalis that was going on at the time and a lot of rumors about, you know, how Vinnie Vincent invasion morphed into slaughter and Vinnie was left without a band. And there's like rumors about him running up the credit line so high on Chrysalis's dime that they decided not to push the Invasion albums. And I just right. didn't know if you could share any thoughts that you had on working with those guys. Well, it was interesting because I, I worked the Vinnie Vincent Invasion uh, record and um, 
and then I, and then of course I, I worked with Dana Strom and Mark Slaughter mm-hmm. and uh, the Slaughter record. Now it, basically, and this is just from my communications with the guys with Mark Slaughter and Dana Strom and stuff because I used to you know talk with them quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Tim Kelly, I was really close friends with him, the lead guitarist of the band. Actually, I wound up hypnotizing him quite a bit when I was on the road because he kind of liked getting hypnotized. <laughs> but and I had him do pretty goofy things. Uh-huh. But um, with from from what I gathered, this is a reality. Vinnie Vincent was a was a very high maintenance artist for mm-hmm. Chrysalis. Right. Uh, he, he he demanded a lot of things. Um, you know, he was pretty caught up um, in I, I guess in his fame and things like that. He also, as the story was told to me from Mark and, and Dana that whenever they'd go into radio stations, he could not, he had some kind of fear of, of stairs or, or elevators or something like that. Hmm. No, I think he had a fear of elevators. So, you know, they'd have to like, um, I guess, take him up the stairs. There was some kind of phobia that he had. And, hmm. um, and, and the big problem was that he would, when they'd go out on concert, he would do these extremely long solos. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so long that I, I remember talking to to Mark and Dana, and they were telling me that when they would go out and they they do a concert, he would get out there and do like a forty five minute to an hour solo. He said they couldn't stop him. Basically, during the solo, they go out, they they'd leave the stage, they'd go out and get some food. It, it it would you know it would take them forever to get to get through with this solo. Wow. Yeah, and so he did these extremely long solos, which I think kind of also affected the audience and affected the band. There was a lot of conflicts that I saw with him mm-hmm. that was going on because he was very, I guess, a, a demanding person. I didn't know him personally, mm-hmm. but um, there was um, there was a lot of high maintenance that that Crystals had to do with him. Right, and, and I think it affected it affected the promotion people. I think it affected uh, Chris Wright and, and the other staff members, and so they finally got to the point where they, I believe, they just dropped them off the label, and then they decided, well, we love Mark, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we love Dana, and so it was up to Mark and Dana to form a new band. Right. And so then they went out auditioning a lot of musicians and... Uh, you know, spent a number of months and then, you know, formed the band Slaughter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what was great about those guys is they were really, they were artists and musicians that really understood the relationships with retail and the relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And even six months before that record came out, you know, I went on the road with the guys. We went into stores. We had Slaughter listening parties. So if someone was playing you know, if if someone knew who they were, they they get like a gift. And then when the records came out, you know, the, we had these things where mystery shoppers, where if, if their song "Stick It To You" was playing, you know, the guy who put it on would get some kind of gift. But Slaughter was really, um, they were really into meeting the people that were selling the records, mm-hmm. and and they were really tough for us because I'm telling you, man, they they toured with Kiss. I remember going on the road with them a few times with Kiss. Uh-huh. Because they were opening up for Kiss for I think it was like at least a year or more. Yeah, I saw and, them on and, that tour. Yeah, and they weren't making much money, according to the guys. They were getting like about like three thousand bucks for each show, mm-hmm. but they were selling like thousands and thousands of their T-shirts. Right. You know, with that 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 pinwheel with the <laughs> the chick on it, you know, and yeah. stick it to you, you know, and they. Uh, but they were opening up for Kiss, and which was great because they were. Um, uh, getting known out there, you mm-hmm. know, and people were, were digging them, digging the guys. Uh, they were, you know, sometimes they were a little wild. I mean, I was at, at different places with them. There's some pretty wild stuff going on, mm-hmm. um, you know, like like happens with rock bands. Sure. You know, but Mark was always a grounded guy. Mm-hmm. When when they'd go out on, on the road, this was real interesting. They'd bring this guy named Jeff, I think it was Jeff Cohen or something like that, who was their, like their retail guy that would go out, road manager. Mm-hmm. He'd always go out and say, "Hey, man, there's no records in these stores," and and they'd they'd always kind of bust us, you know, to make sure that we had product out there. Because a lot of times, artists would go out to a, to a venue or go out and do a show, and there were no no records out there. Right. And and I'll never forget. I um I think it was Tim Kelly telling me one day that you know the only way once we get to a million records, then we're going to make a little money. Right. You know, and it wasn't really much, 
but uh, because there was so much expenses in the in the record business, you know, promoting artists. Mm-hmm. But those guys were really hands on. They were really outgoing, really friendly. Vinny basically kept to himself. So, right. you know, I, I don't even remember ever having any close conversations with them. Yeah. All I know is that there was friction with the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very demanding. And a lot of times if he wasn't in the mood, he wouldn't go into a radio station and, and talk to the program directors and and he was just a kind of a, a tough guy to uh, get to understand that that the business in music is a business of relationships and people liking you. Right. And that and that's the thing that I always thought was great about Slaughter. Mm-hmm. I heard a few years later, I think Tim Kelly got killed in a car accident yeah, or something he, like yeah, that. Yeah, he did, unfortunately. Man, because me and him would we would hang together every time I was on the road with those guys. You know, I'd be you know hanging with them and. And I really, you know, I really liked him, and it was kind of sad to hear that occur. Yeah. But there was something with Vinnie Vincent. He, mm-hmm. he, if he wasn't in the mood, he wouldn't go into a radio station with the promotion guys. Hmm. Um, there was a lot of friction with him and the band. I right. could see that. You know, there was just a lot of friction with those guys. And and I think it was real smart of Chris Wright when when the band when they dispersed the band because I guess the records weren't doing well and radio wasn't accepting them well mm-hmm. to keep Mark and Dana and have them form their new band because Vinnie Vincent, you know, they, they did a lot of great stuff. People loved them. And I even when I when I talk about that band mm-hmm. uh when I talk about Slaughter, you know, um people still love Slaughter. But Vinnie Vincent the Vinnie Vincent invasion, when I talk to people about that, they don't even remember that record, most of them. Towards the end of the time the invasion was together, I think it was when the Love Kills or one of the last videos they did, um, mm-hmm. the record company would release the song and like all the videos said, Vinnie Vincent Invasion featuring Mark Slaughter. And he took a slight to that thinking that he th- he claims that the record company squeezed him out. But I guess you're, what you're kind of saying is he may have pushed himself out with you know his behavior. That That's what I think. And you know, let's face it, Mark had a great voice. Mark was a great front man, mm-hmm. you know, and um, but I but. From what I gathered, there was so much, there, there was too much ego involved. And I don't think it was from Mark and Dana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that, you know, Vinny became, you know, his worst enemy, so to speak, from what I can recall. Mm-hmm. And he made a lot of people at Chrysalis Records very, very upset. There was a lot of things he demanded and didn't want to do. And, and again, these extremely long solos, I mean, after a while, I, I don't know how much the audience can hear, you know, every note on a guitar being played, you know, at a, at a high speed for 45 minutes. Right. I mean, those were extremely long solos. Mm. And then I remember there was a lot of friction with him going into radio stations. Right. And um, and I, I think he had some kind of phobia. So I don't know if it was a phobia. I think it was a phobia of elevators or something hmm. like that. See, I hadn't heard but, that before. Um, but I, I don't believe that Chrysalis undermined undermined him at all. I just think sometimes artists sometimes get become high maintenance, right. you know, and and that's what happens. Just sometimes we get caught up with ourselves. Yeah. I, I know one of the best artists I've ever worked with was was Pat Benatar because she always remained humble. Mm-hmm. I had I had problems sometimes working with Billy Idol, you mm-hmm. know, and and Ian Anderson, Jethro Tull, but um, I never really had the the run-ins with Vinny. All I know is that. All my communication was always with Mark and Dana because they were always coming around the record label and always wanting, you know, to make things happen. And I think they were all real happy when they formed their own band. And, you know, Chrysalis went for it to, to, you know, to, you know, help them, you know, get to where they were supposed to be. But Mm -hmm. the guys, all the guys in Slaughter and Bloss, all the guys in, in Slaughter really knew how to to get out there and meet everybody and make friends with everybody. Every time I took them into stores or wherever, mm-hmm. people loved the guys because they had really open personalities. Right. And I think that's important when you're a musician. Get out there and and like the people that are out there to, to support you. Yeah. Don't get caught up in yourself. It will, Does that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. And, well, and in, I'm, I don't know if this is, you know, a long time back in your career and you've worked with a lot of people, but the timeline of the Invasion stuff, if you remember, I don't know if you were around for both albums because they did the first one where the vocals were laid down by Robert Fleischman and then Mark Slaughter was brought in and then mm-hmm. they did All Systems Go with Mark. But do you remember that first album with Fleischman? Because at that time, Vinny was claiming that, which Fleischman has challenged this himself on my show, where 
because the story that Vinny liked to put out at the time was that he, that he got Robert Fleischman out of necessity because he had a demo tape from Mark Slaughter and that he spent like $10,000 with the record company trying to find this guy that sent this demo tape and it was Mark Slaughter. And Fleischman basically told me that he didn't want to sign the contract that was being offered because it was the size of a phone book and that uh, Chrysalis and Vinny's management were pushing him to basically sign it sight unseen. Do you remember any of this? No, I th- when I came in, uh, Mark was already with Vinnie Vincent. He was, okay. Yeah, so I, I came in somewhere around, uh, I don't know, uh, I was there until 92, so I came in somewhere around 86 or 87, something like that. Yeah, I think like you that. probably came in right as they were doing the second album. Right as they were doing it. But the funny yeah. thing is, what was interesting is that when I was with Polygram, you know, I, we did the Kiss Unmasked record. Uh-huh. You know, and um, and it was cool because it was really interesting because I'll never forget one day as a single sales specialist, uh, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley come into my office and they're hyping me up on, on promoting their records and selling records, mm-hmm. which I thought was you know, pretty interesting because, you know, they were pretty world renowned artists. Oh, sure. And to see them to get in there and do the whole you know, pushing the label to promote them, I thought was, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they're very you know, cause hands They on. understood what retail was about. Right. Um, but according to the guys, that there was just lots of conflicts. It wasn't with them, uh-huh. but it was with them communicating and working with Vinnie Vincent, right. from, what, from what I gathered. He was a tough <laughs> artist to work with, very demanding, yeah. and and not a, not a group or a team player like, like the way the guys were when they formed their own band. Right. So I don't think I don't think Crystal undermined anything. Mm-hmm. I think they were trying to support him, and I think there was just too much uh, inner inner um, dysfunction with the band. Yeah. And I think they did what the, Crystal's did what they had to do. But they also realized the, the wonderful talent with Dana Strom and Mark Slaughter because they you know they they just gelled so well together. And so then they had them put together the band that we know is Slaughter. Very cool. So, so I hope this gives you a little bit yeah. of in, insight, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I appreciate you coming on to talk about it because, you know, like I said, nobody, I've reached out to a couple of people that I've found online that, you know, worked for them back in those days, but nobody seems to want to talk about it. But it's just like what you said pretty much backs up what I think a lot of people's suspicions were about it as far as the record company's concerned. Cause it, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know why someone wouldn't want to talk about it. It's just the experiences that we had in the good old days of 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 rock and roll when when, you know, when artists were out there and records were selling and mm-hmm. and there was a lot of excitement going on, man, in in those 80s and in 90s in the record biz. Right. And uh, one of the best bands that I worked with, uh and I'll have the fondest memories. You saw I put that photo up on mm-hmm. um on Facebook, one of the fondest bands that I've ever worked with and that were really into into um, getting to know everybody, the fans, the artists, and everybody, the, the stores and stuff, was Slaughter. Yeah. They were really, uh, really a cool group. And you know what? Then they were regular guys, you know, so they weren't really, they weren't caught up in the egos. Mark was one of, offstage, Mark was one of the most mellow, calmest guys you could ever see and meet. You know, right. he was just a, a nice guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and like I said, it was really cool working with them. But there was definitely a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, kind of uh, friction or to- toxicity, things that just weren't gelling with Vinnie Vincent Invasion. And I think if it was, um, the the support would have still been on that group. But there was a it needed to be a, there needed to be a change. Right. And you know, and I think the the bands that really make it are the bands that stick together and become a family. You know, and mm-hmm. when you got some runaway children man it kind of affects the family yeah i hear you okay well yeah well yeah well i appreciate you giving me a few minutes of your time to talk about this because it's it's very interesting and you know i want to go ahead and give you a plug for your current activities where can people find out about what you do these days well well, that's great i'm a hypnotist you see me on tv shows uh uh tomsilver.com t-o-m-s-i-l-v-e-r Dot com and, and in fact, you know, when I was in the record biz, I, I like I said, I used to hypnotize Tim Kelly all the time when we were on the road. He was a real receptive person, and I'd have him do all. He'd, he'd have me wanting him to do really strange, goofy stuff. I do help people lose weight and stop smoking, remove fears. Mm-hmm. Um, some of you might have seen me on Jimmy Kimmel Live. 
the man show. I've, I've got a TV special coming out right now. I, I've been on the doctors and I have my own CBS special in 1998. One, one day, one night after a concert in San Diego, actually Pat Benatar approached me cause she had some strange, strained vocal cords. So I actually hypnotized her after a concert to kind of relax her voice and, and things like that. Hmm. One other thing I wanted to mention with 10 years after, um, the, uh, Greg Lee was a drummer of 10 years after you familiar with, are you familiar with him? I know the the band, not, I don't know him though. Oh, okay. Well, Alvin Lee was the lead guitarist, yeah. but w- one day uh, he came to see me also because he had a little bit of a, a smoking problem and he forgot his drum licks and he was going to be doing a video. So I actually hypnotized him to remember his drum, <laughs> drum licks. Wow. But you know, I sure loved being in the record biz, man. I, I still would have been in it had Chris Lewis not been sold to EMI and my gig was gone. But I still have great memories, and I'm so glad to kind of shed a little bit of a light on the Vinnie Vincent invasion and their transition into slaughter. Because I think it just helps people understand, you know, the dynamics of what goes on mm-hmm. in the music business, in the, in the field of rock and roll. And when, and when bands work together, yeah. man, then there's nothing stopping them from, you know, reaching, you know, levels of success like we saw, saw with slaughter. Yeah. But those guys worked hard. They had a lot of heart, and they believed in what they were doing. And, you know, God bless them for what what they did so cool sure pleasure speaking to you yeah same to you thanks so much that's pretty interesting to see things from the other side you know we're always talking to the artists and the producers the guys making the art you know we don't really talk too much to the guys on the business side of it so it's a pretty unique perspective he's got yeah so you got a little bit of you got the artist side today with the Hearst Gardner interview and then you got the business side with what Tom Silver experienced with them you know he he didn't work super heavy with the invasion but I think we learned some stuff we didn't know before yeah good interesting stuff and of course every time we do the Vinnie Vincent special you know and this this isn't a shot at Vinnie Vincent. This isn't designed to be negative for Vinnie Vincent. No. It's just a thing that, you know, like we've said before, people love Vinnie Vincent. They're interested in him. There's mystery and mystique involved with this guy. And so, you know, when people want to talk about him and the listeners want to listen to it, you know, we're just here facilitating that. Sure. You know, we're, we're connecting the people that are all interested and, you know, and rightfully so in Vinnie Vincent, you know, as we all are. We're all big fans. Yeah. Vinnie, you know, I've said it before. I say it again. And Chris looks at me and laughs like it's an empty plea. But, you know, maybe one day you and I will prove him wrong. But you I'd have, love for you to be right. You always me. have an open invitation to of come course. join us on the Decibel Geek podcast. We will treat you with the utmost respect and allow you to tell your story, you know, the best way you well, can right, every, right here with us. That's what everyone wants. They want to hear his side. Right. You know, and we will give you that platform and we'll be glad and honored and proud to do it. And we'll treat you with the utmost respect. Sure. If I didn't say that already, because it's true. Sir. We would, sir. Absolutely. If we had to, why not? You know, but I don't I got a feeling Vinnie Vincent's not that kind of guy. I think deep down he's actually probably pretty cool, maybe a little misunderstood. Well, we can find only way to wait. one way to find out is to actually get him on the show, which would be awesome. So you know where we're at. We're on Facebook. Hit us up. We're always available. Everybody hit us up on Facebook. Yeah, go to Facebook.com slash Decibel Geek. Follow us on Twitter at Decibel Geek Pod and uh, go to the website. What's the website? It's www.decibelgeek.com. Hey. Nice and simple. Do you think there will be a Vinnie Vincent 5? There might be. That'd be cool if it was with Vinnie Vincent. Hey, that's, up to, that's not up to us. I know it's not. I wish it were. All right, well, thanks for, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. See you. Remember to check us out at decibelgeek.com, facebook.com slash decibelgeek, and Twitter at decibelgeekpod. Also available for free on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 